Yeah. Another one. You know it's Will Smith and DJ Khaled. Uh, too late, y'all done wound me up. Hello there, welcome to the Willennium. We're here. It's time. Big Willie style. It's the B-side for the film stage. Dan Mecca here with Connor O'Donnell. Just us two today. What's up, Connor? Not much, man. Not much. It's late. It's Friday. We've been drinking some white wine like some classy folks. My fiance's in the other room watching Great British Bacon Show. Like any classy fiance would do. And we're talking Will Smith. It's been a long time coming. We've been wanting to do it. A guy not unlike one of our first episodes, Tom Cruise, who doesn't actually have a lot of B-sides. You know, when you look at the filmography after he's a movie star, you go, oh, you can only really choose from these few movies because the guy has had so many hits, so many well-known, you know, uh, pieces of work. So just as a reminder, if you're listening, the B-side is a podcast, obviously. And on this podcast, we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or the movies that kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, we are talking about Will Smith, and specifically, we are talking about, here we go, 2008, 7 pounds, 2015, Focus, 2016, Collateral Beauty, and jumping back, 2013, After Earth. So, basically, late period Will, right? 7 pounds comes out in 08, same year as Hancock. I think that's kind of a turning point for him. You know, when you look at the box office receipts, yeah. um, he takes a break after seven pounds for four years. Yeah. And then and then kind of retreats a little bit back to. Right. Men in Black 3, which does pretty well. And I think it's actually kind of fun. I think it's generally well. Yeah, I think it was I mean, gen- compared to the generally one, well received. Definitely better received than the second one. Yeah. yeah. And I think as a time travel movie, kind of interesting and fun. And then. You know, it, and that, really, this is the back half because even Concussion, which isn't technically one of our B sides, will bring up the Peter Landisman movie from 2015, which is about Bennett Amalu, who's the guy who coined the term CTE, which is obviously the NFL concussions. You know, the whole that whole thing that's still a big issue. Filmed in Pittsburgh, I have to say, as as someone who lives there, Concussion uh, filmed in that lovely city, and the only one. The only two, I guess, we're really not talking about are Suicide Squad and Aladdin. Yeah, I mean, because technically hits. Big hits. Yeah. You know, and he is, I mean, the lead really in both, they are ensembles, but obviously the selling point in both marketing campaigns and whatever is him. him. Right. And I mean, we're also not really going to talk about Bright. Oh, right, Bright. By Netflix's account, also considered considered yeah right but bright's another one monstrosity right yeah and i guess somewhere out there bright too is still a possibility though i just it doesn't seem like like he dropped out of suicide squad i don't know it doesn't seem like he would do it he's he's a dude who i feel like is very he's very receptive of his of his image how he's perceived and i also think uh this is sort of something that a uh, good friend of the pod, Teresa Scott, former guest, future guest, had said actually because she she knew we were doing this and she mentioned this to me and I thought it was an interesting insight that like he's a guy who I think <clears throat> and she's writing this he's a guy who is was so managed 
for so much of his career, uh, either by himself or by other people, like very carefully that Mm. when, when he started to kind of make those choices himself, maybe he didn't know the choices to make, or he just kind of picked whatever, but didn't have that like care. Or got gun shy. You know, I think, you know, as you would have, as it is read in the trades, if you will, or the gossip rags, whatever, him and Tom Cruise are good friends. And there there are a decent amount of parallels between their careers. I think a big difference is the swings that Tom Cruise took early on in his career. Will Smith never really took those same swings. You know, like when you look at Will Smith, because look, I mean, look, it's really, it's not that many movies. I mean, ready? So from Philly, okay, was the Fresh Prince first, right? Mm-hmm. Rapper first, gained a decent amount of fame, 1990, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on NBC, hit TV show into the mid-90s. And literally looking at the box office mojo, you have Where the Day Takes You, an insane little new line movie with an insane cast of like all like Sean Astin. You know, just if you look at the poster and you'll see a million people whose names you know. Made in America with Whoopi, 93, Six Degrees of Separation, his coming out party to some degree, and also 93 based on the great play. And then it's and then it's Bad Boys. Bad Boys in 95 is movie star Will. Him and Martin Lawrence. He kind of comes right out the gate. Fun fact, if you look at the poster for the first Bad Boys, Martin Lawrence is credited first. Yeah. Because he was the bigger star. 95, kind of a surprise action hit. Michael Bay's first movie. 96, Independence Day. That's the first. That is the first uh july 4th will smith movie right huge hit roland emmerich 97 men in black another july 4th hit uh 98 tony scott's enemy of the state um 99 wild wild west 2000 legend of bagger vance 2001 ali 2002 men in black 2 2003 bad boys 2 2004 i robot also that year, Shark Tale, which we'll briefly mention because that in its ways is, is it's an animated movie, but it's a B-side in a way. 05 is Hitch. 06 is Pursuit of Happiness. 07 is I Am Legend. 08 is Hancock. Also Seven Pounds. Four Year Break. Men in Black 3. 2013 After Earth. A crazy cameo in Winter's Tale we'll in 2014, which we have to talk about. Yeah. 2015 Focus. Also 2015 Concussion. 2016 Suicide Squad. 2016 Collateral Beauty. 2019 Aladdin and somewhere in there bright and of course coming up this year Gemini Man Skies in Disguise Spies in Disguise What did I say Skies in Skies Disguise in Disguise I mean honest mistake spies. spies in Disguise and early next year the trailer just dropped Bad Boys for Life so that's not that many movies I mean honestly if you think about it I mean this this is a guy who became a star young and and hot, right? I mean, and it speaks to his choices, and it speaks to his staying power to a certain degree. Sure. That that you know that that run of of hits is as insane as it is. I mean, I honestly, to your point before, I think you know, obviously, one of the only other big comparable movie stars in that regard is Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks would be another one. You know, like there aren't there aren't Will Smith is in that echelon, right? Like just that of of just what like pure movie stardom uh, i think looks like especially obviously as box office is concerned yeah and i mean it's one of those th- right like for example talking about his you know in in how he chose the legend of bagger vance i guess you could call b-side but it was so kind of famously 
maligned i don't know that that counts right i mean he's playing the magical black man you know what i mean he's you know it's a it's kind of a famously robert redford directed it you know and i think you can't do where the day takes you made in america or six degrees because that's before he's a star and i also think the i I think the set of movies we're talking about speaks directly to kind of what Teresa's point was and what i'm talking about which is like Mm. is that like him navigating like, like new hollywood yeah and yeah and be a star exactly whereas today. bagger vance generally speaking it was a good bet probably right feels like an easy choice right mm. um will smith robert redford charlie Theron, right like it's yeah, matt damon right after the oscar yeah yeah so it all that all kind of makes sense talking about former guests does remind me i have to bring this up Gavin Mevius, the one of the hosts of the lovely Mixed Reviews podcast. You should all called, listen to it if you're not. Called us out because in our Jennifer Lopez episode, we started and ended the episode with Waiting for Tonight, which in the Mixed Reviews, when they did their Jennifer Lopez episode, they started and ended with Waiting for Tonight. So, Well, you know what, frankly? <laughs> what else would you I start with? I haven't to that Well, episode, and, I, so. and I said to Gavin, I know, and I was like, <laughs> I got to tell Connor. Um, but I forgot. I listened to it and I forgot. So it's also my fault. But to Who are Gavin, they doing now? Nicole Kidman. To, I'm going <laughs> to open this, open and close this episode with whatever track that is. I'm trying. I just listened today because it just posted. Definitely listen. I will say our good old trivia friend, Glenn Dunkst. I don't know why I said it like that. Glenn Dunkst. Um, he is a guest on the Nicole Kidman. Uh, episode of Mixed Reviews. Which was an idea I had for oh, this podcast. Oh, man. So we can't... Well, I, don't know. I guess we could. We could just keep doing it. Yeah. Just like, you know. But um, I listened to it today uh, as we're recording, and I will say, do yourself a favor and listen. Because Glenn, as we know, is a Nicole Kidman, like, huge fan. And his insight is, uh, is, is very welcome on that episode. And I think it, it does a lot. So... Go out and listen to that. And apologies, uh, mixed reviews, friends, for the the use of waiting for tonight. But I refuse to apologize. All right. Well, I will apologize (laughs) for the both of us. Yep. Okay. So Will Smith, born 1968. I was saying before we press record, he's eight years younger than my dad. That's weird. I don't. It's weird to think about. He's 50. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez also 50. Mm -hmm. They both look like they could be 40. I right. mean, I honestly, you know, just even seeing the trailers for Gemini Man, uh, the I think I do think the work that at least has been done in the trailers is probably some of the best de aging I've seen in a movie. Right, but, but it does help that he has aged wonderfully. Um, and we have a friend. I, I I'll be. I mean, he was on an episode. You can probably figure it out. We have a friend in the industry who's seen Gemini Man and and certain cuts and whatnot, and he said that the effects are incredible like that for whatever the story is worth and the, you know, whatever, you know, all the other elements, the, the effects that are on display are something to behold. So that definitely has me excited to see the Anglais movie. Um, so, which I think is, you know, look, Gemini man itself is an interesting distillation of what we're talking about. The idea of Will Smith's movie stardom, because it feels like a risk now whereas i feel like 10 years ago would have felt obvious yeah i think will smith is an easy one to track our like remembrance of as like you know 30 30 plus people 
Just because didn't we all kind of watch Fresh Prince? You know what I mean? Like, I don't remember watching every episode. No, but it was, I remember it being on after school. Right, I, yeah. that must have been how we knew about Will Smith first, right? Def, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I guess for me. Because it's 90 to 96. Yeah. So, you know, we're kids, because we're basically the same age, right? Yeah. So we're kids when it's on TV. But I feel like it, I feel like I watched it. You know what I mean? Not every, like I said, not, not, not like obsessively, not consistently, but you knew the opening, right? You knew the song. Yep. You knew who he was. I also you think, knew Carlton. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, for me, it was, it was kind of like a, I mean, yeah, Fresh Prince was definitely my first Will Smith, but I feel like I probably didn't start tracking it until a little later, like after school in like, you know, 95, 96 mm. around then. So it had been on for a little bit. Right, because that was definitely a rerun, like a lot of those shows, a rerun show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I feel like that's kind of how I would catch it. Um, I remember my older sister uh, would watch it fairly regularly, and I feel like that's kind of how I just caught it. I would watch it with her. Um, And then it just sort of became like, yeah, I don't know, it just became like a a staple. Um, And I think for me, when it's like, what do I think of as Will Smith movie star? I don't go to Independence Day actually, even though the Welcome to Earth scene, I feel like is like almost its own moment. Yeah, sure. Um, and even the there are parts of Bad Boys that have a little bit of that as well. But I do think if I'm talking personally, the foot chase at the beginning of Men in Black. Oh, that was, pl- yeah. plus the whole training sequence where yeah. like he's you know a goofball compared to all these like stringent military guys, and he does the thing. Where he pulls the desk all the way over, and he's like, "And you all want to get on this, yeah. you know?" And he's love, love still love. No, I, I, Men in Black is one of those movies we talked about this. Yeah, that's one of those movies. Go back and rewatch it. Like I think Independence Day, though, though I still find it entertaining, has aged in a way that's a little detrimental to the kind of you know the content. I think you watch it and you go, "Okay, there's a lot here, but it's silly." And not that it was; it was always silly, and it sure. was I think partly intending to be silly, of course. But Men in Black for any comedy, and it's so funny. If anything has gotten, I don't know, better. Uh, you know, like to watch it now, I find it I, I so think, charming, yeah, so clever. I think it, especially it, in the context it's of slim. You know, yeah. it's not some two and a half hour long movie it gets its point across. Yeah, and I think especially, obviously, in the context of the most modern blockbusters, Men in Black is this kind of, uh, and other, uh, you know, other people have said this too. So this, I feel like I'm not really lighten anything on fire here but like it's i feel like it's sort of our generation's ghostbusters it is this like amalgamation and granted it's based on a pre-existing property so it's a little different in that regard because it's based on the comic book sure but it is this amalgamation of like tommy lee jones and wilson because tommy lee jones is also so good and it's crazy it is is actually like a just a truly wonderful four years after he wins an oscar yeah for you know a totally different role yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and just to, but like, so impressive the same things to it you know? that are good. And also, I mean, you know, we, we both listen to blank check and like, they, I think I've mentioned this and you can read about this, you know, wasn't, and I don't think generally isn't the easiest person to work with on set. Right. Sure. Tommy Lee Jones. And I think, you know, you hear these stories about how he didn't feel like it would work because it was this tonal disparity, comedy and sci-fi. And as Connor pours that white, in the, white, I'm, white wine, I'm that, I'm wine in the that wine is so white. It's the whitest wine. Baking's happening. Wine is happening. British baking, no less. But 
with all of whatever turmoil happened with the development and the collaboration of Men in Black, which directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who we've talked about in this podcast, yeah, talked sure. about Big Trouble. Um, it's so impressive how it all works. That's one of those movies, right? That's one of those movies where you go, it's lightning. How, yeah, yeah. How did and, and Ghostbusters, to your point, is one of those movies sure. where you read about how they developed it and how kind of chaotic it was. And Bill Murray wanted more screen time. And, you know, Ernie Hudson was supposed to have a more central role and they basically relegated him and, you know, on set kind of, you know, egos at play and, and, you know, the alchemy all somehow worked, you know, Casablanca, they were writing the pages for the next day, the night before. Right. I mean, you have these stories where it's, you know, for every, uh, you know, what's a, what's a, for every tumultuous production that feels like it goes wrong every once in a while you get something and it feels like it, you said lightning in a bottle. So that's men in black is an interesting, just kind of uh, inflection point. So, you know, we ran through his filmography. Wild wild west is obviously kind of his first misstep in terms of it makes a hundred million dollars, but is relatively hated by everybody. And, that's one where it's famously it changed a million times. Also, Barry Sonnenfeld, right? You know, Kevin Klein didn't want to be the straight man, wanted to make jokes. Will Smith had his persona, so they both make jokes. So there's no straight man, you know. So as a screenplay, but there are moments where Smith is the straight man. Well, yeah, because I think he was more willing. Yeah, right. So you have this weird once again egos at play with big stars and what have you, and the whole robotic skeleton, which you know. The tarantula. If you don't, yeah. if Kevin Smith isn't someone you, you know, enjoy listening to, you know, a wax poetic, obviously I would recommend don't seek this out, but I do enjoy his story about writing the Superman script yeah, with, with John, with John producers. So yeah. if, if literally, if you type Kevin Smith, robotic spider, John Peters, it, a, a YouTube clip will come up. Yeah. I'll tell you that story. And you know what? I'll put it in, in the article too. So you can link to that, uh, and click it. Um, so I guess before we jump into seven pounds, which is our first B side, I'll quickly talk about shark tale. Sure. Um, I rewatched it. It's on HBO currently. Um, just because it feels like a B side to me. It's a DreamWorks animated movie. I was surprised how flat it is. I re- I recalled enjoying it like softly, but rewatching it, it really is the residue of the Shrek success, right? So Shrek comes out only a few years before it. It's DreamWorks, and it's it's this idea of, and the, it's also after Finding Nemo, right? Yeah, but. Right, sure. That's in the water, I suppose. Is the yeah, yeah. that fish and sharks and stuff. But I really think Shrek is the closer one because the thing is, Shrek was such a phenomenon, and the whole thing with Shrek, the first one, and then obviously all the sequels. But you know what the first one was? Celebrities had been doing voices, obviously, in the years before Shrek. You know, you had mm-hmm. Meg Ryan and John Cusack and Anastasia. You had Robin Williams. Famously, Robin Williams was the kind of the was. The first, kind of the first one in Aladdin, the first huge one. So it was happening. It wasn't like it wasn't happening. But Shrek was like the first behind the scenes with Mike, with Austin, you know, Mike Myers, yeah, yeah. Eddie Murphy, who was in Mulan, obviously, but Eddie Murphy, Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, John Lithgow. You know, you had all these people. It's almost the as if DreamWorks took from like the Disney playbook and then like just right. like put it full throttle. Basically, and 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 more than that, the jokes were like 
the jokes were like culturally, there were cultural references for the time, right? And this thing of writing for the parents who are in the theater. Sure. But it's still lowest common denominator stuff, but it's for them and the kids will still laugh, but the parents will, you know, kind of grin type deal. So Shark Tank is that. Shark Tale. And Shark Tank, the show. I'm talking about both <laughs> things simultaneously. No, but Shark Tank is... Tail. I know, I'm, gonna, I'm still <laughs> talking about the show. No. <laughs> Shark, Shark Tail, sorry, is basically a watered-down version of that because you basically... The, the premise is essentially Will Smith plays the main fish and they're obviously underwater in the ocean and all of his fellow fish in this like town, city are scared of sharks. So one of the opening bits, right, is there's a there's a fish Times Square and every branded thing is a pun of fish or right. So like yeah. there's a the gap logo but it's gup. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's all, right. It's, it's exactly. So uh, and, and I hate it. And <laughs> and <laughs> a news fish newscaster gets on the big screen at this like fish Times square and it's Katie. It's, it's voiced by Katie Couric, but her name is Katie current. And she's like the shark, a shark is coming and everybody hides and the shark like swims by. And so it's this world where fish are afraid of sharks and that there's a whole system in place. And I don't, do you remember any of this? No. Okay. I, I feel like I've seen this movie. But I'm like, sure I, you've seen this. Movie. Yeah. I don't so remember. the whole thing is, Robert De Niro, right? One of our greatest screen actors is he plays like a a Godfather. Robert Rocky and Bullwinkle. Robert De Niro. Exactly. Alan? Okay. Well, the yeah, the Kenneth Lonergan written Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Robert De Niro, he plays like a Godfather shark, and he's got these two sons, and I think it's Michael Imperioli does one of the voices, and Jack Black is oh. like the soft right. son. Who doesn't want to eat? Does Angelina Jolie do a voice? Oh yeah, it's she funny because then she fatale. she then po this is DreamWorks right? Because then yeah. she pops up in the Kung Fu Panda movies. She does. So she with, just kind of with Jack Black. Yeah, they just got the head exactly. Money. Yeah. So you have this thing where Jack Black is a wants to be a vegetarian shark, right? That's the bit. Angelina Jolie is the femme fatale. She wants to be with like a successful fish. And what happens is oh, and Renee Zellweger. Mm -hmm is a co-worker of Will Smith's character who has a crush on Will Smith, of course, right? They work at a car wash, but it's not a car wash, it's a whale wash. They wash whales, which I will say is one of the more clever parts of because the, they show how you would wash a whale, which is kind of, I think, okay. just visually fun and cool. Yeah. Martin Scorsese does like- Oh, that's significant voice work. That's right. He plays the the owner of the whale wash. I remember Bro, this movie, this you can't imagine. Fucking yeah. Movie. And what happens is Michael Imperioli and Jack Black are out on the hunt to show to make Jack Black eat a fish and they spot Oscar who is Will Smith. And at the moment Jack Black ultimately just refuses to eat Will Smith, right? Like the fish an anchor kills the Michael Imperioli shark, you know, and Jack Black feels so guilty and he runs away. And then these two Rasta, like, uh, 
Jellyfish, voiced by, I believe, Dougie Doug and Damian Marley. Okay. Or Ziggy Marley. I have to check that. It might be Ziggy Marley. They think that Fish Will Smith killed the shark. So everybody's like, oh, we finally have a fish who can kill sharks. And Will Smith becomes this famous uh, fish that he always wanted to become. But it's all a lie. Right. And he gets Angelina Jolie fish, but it's a lie. How does Renee feel about And that? Renee Zellweger fish, who truly loves him for who he is, is feels obviously, you know, mm. scarred, you know, sure. abandoned. Yeah. And that's what Shark Tale's about. But amidst this weird kind of Shakespearean, whatever structure you want to say, are just constant puns and, you know, winks to the adult audience. And it's so like it's the easiest shit. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it, I, I suppose it's harmless, right? That's kind yeah. of a such a backhanded non-compliment. But rewatching it, I was like, wow. I this is just when you consider all the voice talent involved. And yeah. even the animation, I mean, this is I'm no animation expert, but even the animation animation is very boxy and you know kind of I feel it, like it Dream, plays that very, was like Dreamworks yeah, thing for yeah. like a minute cuz yeah, the, they always I once again, I'm they no do expert. Madagascar too, right? Yeah, yeah, they. I feel like they always kind of didn't have that, you know, that touch that Pixar had, which I suppose you know is is a fairly obvious thing. To I say. feel like the the closest they ever came is I I never saw the I never saw the third Kung Fu Panda, but the the first one and second one I remember being all right, and then uh, the first How to Train Your Dragon, which we talked about a little bit because of Gerard Butler. Right. That I think is maybe the closest they ever came to something that's like, that was like, felt like really wonderful animation to me. Um, not to sell all the people that have done extremely hard well, no, work I mean, on look, DreamWorks yeah, movies. Of course. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it, these are not easy jobs. No. And just to confirm, Bernie and Ernie, the jellyfish, sure. are voiced by Dougie Doug and Ziggy Marley. So, speaking of jellyfish. Oh. We have to get to it. I know what a you, perfect you, transition I, that was. I would, I would never have thought of it. But of course, how could I have not have thought of it? Well, seven that's pounds. Why I'm here. Uh, seven pounds. I'm gonna let you go. Just go for it. Yeah. So seven, seven pounds. pounds is a movie. Yeah, um, I'm gonna drink this one. Yeah, it's a movie. It got made. Um, it's made in 2008. Yes, it was. And, uh, well, I guess it was made in 2007. But it uh, it stars Will Smith as uh, Ben Thomas who is uh, an IRS agent um, who's got or a, is yeah, he? who's got a secret um, he let me interrupt you just to say this movie made 170 million dollars worldwide so for any of those listening who thinks Will Smith was at one point not the biggest star in the world just remember that this movie that Connor's about to talk about grossed 100 and $70 million worldwide. Connor, please continue. Yeah, and granted, I guess it was kind of looked at as a failure because I feel like back in 08, people still didn't really give a shit about international numbers. I suppose. To, and and it, he was also, I mean, lest we forget, he was also coming off of Hancock, which was a original piece of IP. Sure. That made over that made over seven hundred million dollars. The original title is way better to that movie. Yeah, what is it called? It's uh He Comes at Night. Yeah, good title. But point to your point, I think 08 is is his peak as a movie star. Sure. Because it is literally 
Will Smith can be an alcoholic superhero based on nothing directed by Peter Berg. Sure. And it's going to make as much as a Men in Black movie, right? So. Right. It's actually, I, t- I just, you just reminded me that that movie's a Bagger Vance reunion with Charlize. Charlize, Hancock. of course. Yeah. Naturally. Anyway, um, Seven Pounds, we'll stop stalling and we'll just fucking talk about it. <laughs> it's uh, basically, he, pay- he plays Ben Thomas, who's an IRS agent who has sort of a secret. I'm going to straight up spoil it. Basically, the general premise is he was responsible for a car accident that killed seven people um, and essentially is trying to make restitution for it by uh, basically either giving away his possessions, things that he owns, or literal pieces of himself, right? Like right. Parts of his body. And the Seven Pounds is in reference to the Merchant, Merchant of Venice, the right. Shakespeare play in which the whole thing is a pound of flesh for a life as retribution, right? As, right. And uh, it's very clever. <laughs> well, I don't, it is... And unless I totally missed this, I don't think they mentioned no, it in the movie. No, it's kind of, I sort of actually, I did appreciate that. That they don't mention it? Yeah, I did sort of appreciate that because even Brittany and I, while we were watching, she was like, why is this called Seven Pounds? And I, I was like, oh, Merchant of Venice. She was like, oh, yeah. Like it's, but so it's it's funny, I kind of do appreciate that. If you read about it, they mention how in the marketing, they really tried to like hide, hide it. Well, the marketing, do you remember the trailer for this movie? I do not. It's very much, uh, it's very much like a, who are you? And he's like this like very mysterious man oh, so who's like really paying it for it. And it feels kind of supernatural sort of. Um, and the movie's not that, right? The movie's very straightforward. And what it is is he's I mean, Will would get there and we'll get to where he got yeah, there by the fourth yes, of RPGs, sure. but go on. Um, but basically he, you know, he is vetting these people um, to see if they are worth him sort of helping them with you know by you know essentially his plan is he's working with barry pepper who's his lifelong friend who i always love seeing barry pepper i do think at one point we should do an almost movie star on barry pepper. oh my god i would uh, love it i because barry pepper is a pepper. guy that almost every time he shows up i just appreciate him being there um but uh, i think i've probably said that before on the show but i don't remember say it again um, dude yeah why not love the pepper little pepper never hurt anybody little um, pepper never hurt anybody but basically, Barry Pepper's helping him out. He's essentially planning a suicide. That's the thing. And right. he's, he's, you know, he gives away his house to a woman who needs to get away from her abusive boyfriend. He is essentially sort of vetting uh, Rosario Dawson uh, to see if yeah. she, she, she's suffering from congenital heart failure, basically. And he, like, vets a guy early in the movie who runs an old folks home and learns that he's a piece of shit and is mad about it. So you get a sense... To some degree, he's doing something that's not just like taxes. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, look, the IRS thing, death and taxes, right? I mean, this sure, is pretty sure. fucking- The whole, I mean, the name of the movie, Seven Pounds, he's literally giving his flesh. Like, it's it's all on the nose. It's right, not, right. You know, and I can see, uh, and this, I think this movie is indicative of a thing Machine, that- This is Machine Gun Preacher. This yes, is, we're in the same world. Yeah, and I, but I you also know, which think we it's, talked about on the Jerry Butler episode. Yeah. I think it's the thing that, that like uh, again, I'll go back to it. Like him being previously being like very heavily managed, very careful about things he chose, and then kind of this feel, you know, this feels like a one for me type thing almost. Um, and it feels like he just chose a 
project because he was like, oh, that's an interesting twist, right? Like, or whatever. Well, and he did say in interviews when this movie was being promoted. Now, let's remember, Gabrielle Machino directed this, who directed him to an Oscar nomination in, in the Pursuit, Pursuit of Happiness, Happiness. So, only two years before yeah. this. So this is the follow-up. He said in promoting this movie that what drew him was this idea of an ordinary man dealing with extraordinary tragedy. So this is presumptive of me to say, but I do think when you are as successful as someone as Will Smith is, right? Not that every human being deals with their own demons and trauma, but when you're at this level of like money's not a problem, you have a happy marriage, you have the kid, you know what I mean? You have the success. It is not surprising to me, and we'll get to collateral beauty later, yeah. that a guy of his stature would be drawn to these extreme scenarios yeah, of like melodrama. Yeah, concept. Right? The same Tra- way, tragedies. not to keep bringing up Tom Cruise, but they are friends, I suppose, and their, their careers, especially their late careers, are uh, parallel in a lot of ways. Not unlike Tom Cruise, where like now he's in this place where it feels like he knows the market tells him he should be Ethan Hunt. And also, that's the most extreme shit he could be doing. And right. it feels like that's where his zen is or something. Yeah, right? yeah, so you yeah. feel like with these Will Smith movies, specifically Seven Pounds and Collateral Beauty, and especially because he talked about this, like I mentioned, in these promotions for the, for the at least for Seven Pounds, you're like, yeah, I guess if you were a guy who didn't have a lot of problems, really, you would respond to a movie about a guy who, you know, literally, I mean, and they show the flashback to that accident. Yeah, and it's insane. Is, and by the way, Why what is a he piece alive? of shit. He's texting while driving. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. bro. Like, this also, this on. movie, I mean, I guess now we've done it, you, you'll be listening to it, uh, is is very similar to Angel Eyes as well. It's so like, similar. It's like a high concept movie about a a, a man. You're slowly with- becoming the high concept B-side, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, but it's basically not unlike Jim Caviezel in that movie. Smith in this movie just does some shit that you are just like, oh my god, bro. So like, so I guess let me let me let you finish, and I'm gonna say for me the most egregious of what you're talking about, but I'll let you finish. So basically, he's vetting all these people. Woody Harrelson is one of them. Woody Harrelson's a blind man. Um, Good. A couple, a couple of the other people in in that he encounters that he winds up giving his gift to, as it were, with his sort of assisted suicide. Um, you know, they they feel kind of like throwaways. The big ones kind of are Harrelson and um, and especially Rosario Dawson. The two of them, I think, are the only redeeming thing for me about this movie. I think their performances are actually both right. quite lovely. Um, but basically, while this all evolves and you're sort of getting slowly inched into this, um, you realize, and this will bring us back to Shark Tale, his particular method of suicide is death by jellyfish. Yeah, like halfway through the movie, he he's at this motel, um, this like shitty motel, and he, by the way, treats the guy who runs the hotel like, like shit, garbage, which yeah. is a whole nother part thing. The movie kind of yeah. glosses over, but whatever. He brings. <laughs> He brings in this huge fish tank with a with I think not even a normal fish tank like a giant, a giant glass one. cylinder. And at first, <laughs> it's not a, the full jellyfish, right? Like he brings it in and it's not 
no, no, no. full he, size. He brings in like an empty, the jellyfish is separate. He brings in right, like an right, empty right, 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 right. tank and the guy like, what is this for? What's he's, this for? And yeah. He's honest. He's like, it's a fish tank. And he's like, yeah. I mean, he's kind of honest, but like, well, you know, but he's like, it's a fish tank. And then it's just like, he's like, well, I, you can't have fish in your room. And he's just like, he's like, yeah, well, I'm doing it anyway. He literally says like, to the dudes like, you can't do this in this hotel. And, and Will Smith goes, motel. I'm like, bro. Come yeah, it's, on, dude. What's it's your like deal? it's kind of bananas. Uh, Michael Ely plays his brother. Great casting. Yeah, it is very good casting. And let me they, just take a minute. They feel like they. Could I be tweeted brothers. about this. Michael Ely, let us all show some respect. This dude makes hits constantly. Michael Ely is one of these guys. He makes these screen gem movies, right? These screen gems movies that have budgets of like 10, 15, 20 million, right? A lot of them are thrillers. A lot of them are rom coms. They all make a profit. Michael Ely is out here making people money in like very, like mildly to very entertaining genre pieces year after year with people like Megan Good and what had Paula Patton, very good actresses in their own right, right? Let's give the man some respect. I feel like no one talks about it. Like this is a reliable middle budget star in an age where that person doesn't exist, like let's salute to Michael Ely. And then, uh, sorry, go on. Well, in this movie, he's not Michael Ely. He's Michael Jellyfishy. Go. No, wow. it's You know I'm what? Take that back. No, you know what? Canceled. You keep it. <laughs> Canceled. That was better than uh, the, J- the J-Lo. A thousand percent. <laughs> thousand percent. Um, no, but uh, so yeah, Will Smith, uh, Death by Jellyfish. Um, and, you know, he gives his heart to Rosario Dawson literally right yeah. and obviously the conflict during this the whole thing being while he's vetting rosario dawson falls in love simultaneously falls in love i mean who of, would kind of finds a reason to live and i will say to that point and i do think it's it's earnestly like the only portion of the movie that i really like there is a moment in the middle of the movie also this movie's over two hours which is insane it's insane it, it has no business being that long but somewhere in like the middle yeah of the movie, really it actually, I mean, I feel doesn't. like we say that a lot, but no, it, it really like, doesn't. Because, no, we were, so I had seen this movie before. Brittany had not. We were watching it. And it's getting a little late at night. So she's like, oh, how much is left? And I'm like, oh, no, no, this is like definitely near the end. Like, yeah. I, And I paused it. And there was still an hour. We were an hour in and there was like an hour and change left. And I was like, this is, that's insane. That it, yeah, I suppose the structure is such that that's part of the problem. You kind of go because they're slowly revealing right, you're like, things. What's going? Yeah. yeah, I mean, but he there's a scene, a dinner scene in the middle of the movie where Rosario Dawson has been discharged from the hospital. Um, she's on a waiting list finally through Will Smith's help to to get a, a heart donated to her, um, and so. They, you know, they're falling in love basically, and she winds up cooking for him, which is something she never does. She says she's like a notoriously bad cook, and he shows up at her house uh, just because she tells him to kind of come by or whatever. And she's gotten him like a nice date night outfit, and you know, it, it is it is uh, super sentimental, and like a lot of the rest of the movie. Um, but it, I do think, because of her, and it's to her credit. Uh, it earnestly works. It was the one. It's like the the only six minutes in the in the movie that I was like, oh, this is lovely. Um, yeah. There's same couple, thing with Woody Harrelson. Yeah. He's, there's a couple he's, he's of Rosario nice. scenes along with that one. I think so. What I wrote down uh, in my letter boxed review was, I'm not a fan of this movie. 
seven pounds, but it might be Rosario Dawson's best performance. She's ve- she's very good. Which I like. I think I put that alone is worth the two stars I give the movie, right? Because I do think it's in a way a thankless role because she's essentially just a sick person. Yeah, she's the dying right? girl. Yeah. yeah. But she does so much with it. it. It truly is kind of impressive how invested you become in her character's plight, especially because I do think Will Smith is quite bad in this. I yeah. think Will Smith is generally a very capable actor, obviously one of our most charismatic movie stars. And I think, and we'll get to this a little bit later, I think he almost finds the thread in his this type of performance in Collateral Beauty, actually. A little bit. So... That's something we'll, we'll I don't like revisit. either of them particularly. Sure, but, but yeah. just in terms of his performance, I, I there's he has so many ticks in this movie that feel like covers. It's a mannered. It's a very mannered. But you know, mannered yeah. is fine if it has a place in the motivation, or you know, it, this feels like a choice that's covering up something else. You know, something what, lacking. What's also weird about this movie is it's a performance that he's. Uh, that he has at this point, um, you know, done done better. You know, he had already done, um, he had already done, I Robot, right? And he had already done I Am Legend, both of which. I mean, say what you will about those movies. I think his performance in those movies, and this is a to his credit, he has a an ability to just to rise above and beyond what a mediocre blockbuster script would require of him. Sure. And I think he really does bring a really wonderful performance to both of those movies. And it's a very similar kind of thing. It's a person who's undergone tragedy uh, and, uh, and and is, you know, coping with it in all the wrong ways and that kind of stuff. Uh, the, you know, these haunted performances that he also manages to bring his charisma to. Whereas this movie, I just, it's, he is sapped of all of his charisma. Yeah, I agree. It's, it, it, you know, look, it's another Sony movie. Sony is kind of his home studio. It, you know, like we said, it does fine, I think, for what the movie is. It makes 70 domestic, like we said, about 100 more worldwide, um, you know, to make something like 170 worldwide. So after this, um, it's a four year break, Men in Black 3. Uh, does well, like we mentioned before. And then the next year, 2013, it's After Earth, which is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And that's the sound you're hearing is what it is. I think it's just a big pile of piss. <laughs> that's what it is. Now, look, okay, by all accounts, Will had a lot of involvement in the development of this movie even that is an understatement right like it is it's like the epitome of a vanity project yeah it's him and his kid it's him and Jaden. um it's a gary witta script i think to start right i was a little confused because in so obviously this is one of the first I, i think it's the first time that m night Shyamalan directed something that he did not write that was not a thing that he well is this before last airbender yes this is, th- it is, is it? I'm looking right uh, now. No, yes, it, no, you're right. It, it is. is. I'm right. sorry. No, so no, no, I, it's after. No, 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 I'm sorry. But he wrote that. Yeah, but it's based on a existing property. right? based on Avatar, right? So, so last Airbender, he did write it, though it is based on 
Avatar. My point being, he had come in. So M. Night Shyamalan, he has a writing, he has a screenwriting credit on this. Will Smith has a story credit. Right. Gary Whitta has, I think, the top screenwriting credit because I think Will Smith basically workshopped it with Gary Whitta. And then brought while, on while right. M. Night Shyamalan was getting familiar yeah. with it, he did a couple passes on it. Clearly, obviously, enough to uh, get a screenwriting credit on it. Um, and another Sony movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, this movie's not good. It's not good. Well, look, I don't it's, look seriously. I'm, I'm not even kidding. We should not talk about this movie for a long time. It, it's <laughs> it's just it's what it's been talked about a lot. It's almost not a B side because it is so because it's an M Night Shyamalan movie because it's a Will Smith movie and because it did so badly and because it was basically the reason Jaden Smith said no thanks to movie stardom because this is after well, the Karate Kid. That's kind of why I want to talk about it because it is. It feels like the part of the choice that Will Smith makes with his career is basically not to have a career and instead to like burgeon the the, the careers of of his children. Right. Right. So and and remember, around this time, he's producing Annie, Annie. which then Willow Smith bows out of, right, because she doesn't want it. Exactly. Right. She had whipped her hair back and forth. And that was it. And she said, I've done all the whipping of my hair back and forth that I want to do. Give it to Kavanjane and let's move on. Yeah. She said, actually, that's a quote. That's a direct no, quote. No, no, that I'm yeah. quoting it from her Wikipedia right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, real, real, real quick. The basic gist of the movie is um, takes place in a future in which, you know, humans have left Earth. They've gone to settle on another planet called Nova Prime. Um Will Smith plays a general uh, in this in this army. Give us that name of Rangers. His name the best. Is I mean, I will say, greatest Cipher yeah. Rage. Now, hang on. Kata Cy- Rage is the kid. Cipher Kata. Wow. Uh, okay. Cipher we'll Rage is Stacker Pentecost, which is a better future movie accent. name. Cipher Rage is yeah. the best name in the history. Of <laughs> anything. Yeah, so I think. So but. basically Cypher Rage is obviously a very demanding military father. Uh, Jaden Smith wants nothing to please his dad. It poses it's- the question. What if you took everything you liked about Will Smith and took it out, out. of every out. single scene? Seven pounds at least. He, there is a like inherent basic charm to him. He also made- and I am remembering we did not talk about what you wanted to talk about, which was at the end of the movie, Woody Harrelson has Will Smith's eyes. Oh, God. Yeah, no. So where Woody Harrelson, sorry, we never said Woody Harrelson plays a blind man named Ezra. Right. And who gets who Will, gets Smith's, Will Smith's, Smith's eyes. And at the end of the movie, he just, sees Emily, who is Rosario. Rosario. And they know, they just know. They're like, oh, yeah. you, you, and, you're Ben's friend. Yeah. Or, you know. And he has Will Smith's eyes and he looks like a literal demon. I you horrifying. said that, and I will say I don't fully agree. I he looks weird, obviously, yeah. and also, and I guess please correct us, eye doctors who are obviously avid listeners. Can you do that? Can, I, can I somebody yeah. die with their eyes, and you can put those eyes in another person? Well, here's head the thing: as Jaden Smith once famously said, "How can we see if our eyes aren't real?" Well, I mean, look. If you're going to quote the poet, do it with that amount of passion, I say. <laughs> so, all right. I just, I wanted to make sure you got that call because that, that was, that was a, uh, that was an, imp- I know that was important to you. After Earth. So yeah, Cypher, 
He's a hard ass. Cypher, Katal's not not having it. Doesn't make Ranger, which is like the rank or the military unit that they're a part of. And uh, essentially Will Smith's wife, uh, her name is Farah, I believe, in the movie. Um, who's the actor? I just want to say, you're saying, so then it's Sophie Okonot, Okonido, oh, thank who, you. who's a great actress. Um, it is spelled K-I-T-A-I. Oh, so I think it is Katai, is it Kai? but with Katai? the accent, oh, they, okay. the accents they have, that, which we, we should spend about seven hours talking yeah. about, where they choose to sounds, sound like robots, but like transatlantic. Well, robots. they choose to sound. Well, so we'll talk about it in a minute. So basically, just to kind of take the pass from you, they so Katai is training, and he doesn't get right. Like you just said, he doesn't get. Not promoted, but but he doesn't advanced, make the rank. He like, right? doesn't, doesn't make, make his rank. Yeah. And Will Smith, Cipher Rage, comes back from serving. Um, he's been gone a long time. Katai is embarrassed that he didn't get this. You know, uh, he doesn't. He didn't make this rank. And he, like he can't go out. Right. That's what it is. He like yeah. can't go fight. Essentially. And Sophie Okonedo's character, Faya, she says to Will Smith, basically, be you know. Be easy on your kid. He's got a, you know, he's a feeling. He's a feeling child. That's that's what um, she says. And a huge part about this is that Cypher is like a living legend. And the thing that everybody says about Cypher Rage is that he was the first person oh, when insane. fighting the Ursa, which is like the really evil alien. They're basically a combination between the Quiet Place monsters and the Cloverfield monster. And the Edge of Tomorrow monsters. Oh, right, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Where it's like... The uh, they feed off of fear, very common kind of a thing in these sci-fi things. And the thing that Cipher did was he was able to render no fear. So if you have no fear, these Ursa creatures do not see you. So he was able to kill an Ursa because he became invisible to them. So the whole military build of this army, this 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 the whole group of people is essentially based on the success that Cypher found, which is like, if you can suppress the fear, you can win. And so- So this was during Will Smith's Scientology phase, Well, look, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back quickly to that because that's obviously what people, you know, people look at that whole element specifically and kind of, it's hard. And admittedly, if you know anything about Scientology, it, it is hard to not see that because that is, you know, they call people who are negative, suppressive people, yeah. right? There's this whole idea of like having no fear. If you listen, you know, if you read about this stuff, it's a really, it is a tenant of this cult, you know, essentially. So anyway, um, in a move to try to get closer to his son, Cypher takes Katai on, a, on the spaceship with him, uh, you know, as an idea to take him out of the field, show him, you know, kind of try to, you know, show him by example, and while they're on the spaceship, they accidentally fly into an asteroid field and the ship gets fucked up and they have to land somewhere. And the only place they can land is a planet, blah, 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 blah. And they crash land and everybody dies except for Katai and Cypher. But in the crash, both of Cypher's legs are broken. And this is this was the huge part of the trailer. Yeah. Cypher goes to Katai. You have to, the other half of the ship is this many kilometers away. 
you have to get to that ship to get to the working beacon to send for help. But this planet is designed to kill humans. Da, 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 yeah. da, da. Do you know what this planet is? This planet is Earth. Earth right. Yeah. And that was like a big part of the trailer, yeah. right? I will say the one other part that was like a big part of the trailer that watching it in the movie, I was like, eh, that is kind of Is cool. Dianetics. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah no, the no. Dianetics um, thing at the end. Yeah. No, it was when they talk about Xenu. Um, no, but the uh, there is a moment before the ship uh, crashes, basically right before it tears apart in Earth's, Earth's atmosphere. Will Smith goes up to Jaden Smith and he's trying to calm him down and get him to breathe properly. Um, and in the, and it's completely silent. And then in the midst of that, like the plane, he, the, yeah. like the that's back cool, half of the ship cool like, tears off and Will Smith just gets he sucked out. And, and that's, that's a very, how he breaks it. It's in, that's a, I will say, I remember when I saw the trailers, I was like, eh, that's kind of cool. And it, it, it works here. Now, something I forgot is that when in rewatching this, the first 30 minutes is that I always mm-hmm. kind of thought it really, I mean, it opens with that shot you're talking about, but then it tracks back and you get 30 minutes of exposition. Will Smith, we also forget to mention, Will Smith has a dead family member again. A lot of that going on. Well, yeah, I mean, they both do. Yep. Zoe Kravitz. The one and only yep. Zoe Kravitz. She uh, has, she has been killed by an Ursa. Yep. And she locked young, her younger brother, Katai, in, in a bubble? bubble thing. And he still feels responsible because he could have, gone out and not helped her because she he was a kid like right. you see the flashback but understandably i suppose sure. there's a guilt um so anyway the rest of the movie is a survival movie right so it's literally katai trying to traverse this dangerous world to get to this beacon with the aid of his father by just like communicator right yeah like video communicator and there's a lot of take a knee, take a breath, like find your center, have no fear. That's the other right? thing that doesn't help this movie though, is like they're I mean I mean, they're both giving bad performances, which is fine, but I will say in in like a moderate defense, they're not on screen together. There's no like they're both. And also alone you're just asking so it's, much of Jaden Smith. I mean, he was the kid is adorable in Pursuit of Happiness. happiness yeah. Of course, but you're asking this kid. To essentially do what his dad did in I Am Legend, yeah. uh, only the year, you know, not the year before, but only six years before. I mean, and you know, for whatever you think of Will Smith, you know, the hour or so he's fucking owning the screen in I Am Legend. It's an amazing performance. It's truly yeah. incredible. I mean, that's Castaway Tom Hanks type shit. I mean, yeah. it really is. So to ask your kid who's in his second or third movie you know i think i think i literally think jane smith was in the day the earth stood still right and pursuit of happiness right and like maybe a couple other little things and after earth right so you're asking this kid to like literally own a screen in what was must have been mostly green screen mostly you know comps after the fact acting against nothing right that's i mean he fails spectacularly but it's hard to blame him Never yeah. forget also at the hands of a director who, look, credit credit to him, but like had not really done a project of that size either. Well, and look, you know, like, and look, in, in rewatching this movie, it, having really, really enjoyed Glass and and really enjoyed this new, refreshed M. Night Shyamalan, I think what you learn, and maybe M. Night Shyamalan learned this, when he got the money to make these big, 
big movies. I mean, you forget. Like, The Sixth Sense is not, I mean, it was a huge hit. But a simple movie, I mean, yeah. it is acting. It is it is actors talking to each other. It is simple special effects. It's practical, right? Same thing with Unbreakable, right? Signs gets a little bit more complicated, but truly, it really is basically a farmhouse, right? And like a couple of, you know, alien shots, right? Which are probably the weakest parts of the movie. And even the village, which, you know, a lot of people will say that's kind of the turning point. Even that is basically relatively simple early Spielberg type filmmaking. Do you know sure. what I mean? He, when he gets into the happening, when he gets into After Earth, Last Airbender, and it's like effects, you know, pre-vis, right? Yeah. Like acting against nothing. I think that's where you reveal like whatever those limitations are, they come through in those movies. They really do. And by all And now he's making these, because even Glass was like sold as this big movie, but if you watch it, you it's know. It's so small. It's so small. It's so right? small. So, and, it feel, and it feels it, but in a good way. In like yeah, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very a great kind of restrained own self-commentary type of way. Yeah, and it, the, um, by, by certain accounts in, in what research I did for After Earth, he, he essentially, I mean, Smith, basically directed this movie from like a, from like an acting standpoint. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And, and, and M night Shyamalan was basically there to plant the camera, plan the shots that to, to, you know, to direct in all the technical ways that maybe Smith wasn't. And by all accounts, Will Smith, I mean that will, M night Shyamalan was Will Smith's handpicked choice. Yes. Or yeah. else he would have never gotten the job. Yeah. That's kind he, of what he had, I think even been, you know, he, I think he had, they had been circling around a couple projects together that like, you know, n- never really took off or whatever. But um, I, uh, that said, I, you know, n- n- new sort of reinvigorated M. Night Shyamalan. Can I get Will Smith in one of those movies? Oh my God. I think that's, that'd be great. Uh, exactly. And um, I mean, we'll get to it at the end, but I, that's what I want from Will yeah. Smith. Now, quickly, this is the worst of the four. Yeah. What do you think? What do you, Pro- what do you think? Yeah. Well, it's tough. I would say it's this or seven pounds. Right. Um, because, kind of for the same reasons like there's a certain degree of thought that went into this movie that i don't want to necessarily dismiss you know like i always i always dig world building <sighs> yeah so there's I mean, and and that was like a big part of this particularly for will smith that's another part of like the vanity thing is he uh and not obviously his own vanity but uh you know sort of on behalf of his son too is that he wanted to kind of engineer this to be a whole like books but like you know, books right. and all sorts of stuff, like just a big. But like for his kid, yes, like literally handing off yes. the keys Ex- to the kingdom, exactly. Yeah, and it obviously didn't pan out. There were a couple of companion things that came out, a couple of companion books I think that came out when the movie came out. Now, just quickly, budget was one thirty reported. It made sixty domestic, but it, worldwide two forty three. Right, so so he still got it. It's like eh, the Tom Cruise thing, kind of. It's kind like of even when he flops, the the you know China still goes. Oh yeah, Will Smith, but almost. Kind of, but also like if you talk, if you think about it in that sense, in terms of like ego-driven projects, because by all accounts, um, you know, Tom Cruise's involvement in the Mummy movie was quite substantial in yeah. terms of directorially and producerially and whatnot. I'm looking at that. that <laughs> well, right, it's a similar, it's a similar case study, yeah. but the worldwide gross on the Mummy is 400 plus. Right. So, I mean, this was. When you think about the level of this, I mean, 240 on a 130 for a Will Smith movie, you know, a summer release, that is a disappointment. I don't think anybody made money in it. I mean, you're maybe breaking even. I don't even know. I I mean, they really marketed it. I mean, yeah, I would be curious. 
I mean, without going in, I mean, it's not really worth spoiling. You know, it's they a, get saved, right? I mean, rescued. it's you know, the, yeah. it, it is a it is a coming of age in an extreme scenario and, well, story. But here's the thing: the extreme scenario thing, and I, I, we can kind of wrap it up with this. But the uh, when I was digging through it, and again, I. I don't know whose idea this was. Like, I don't know if this was like a Gary Whitta thing that got developed into this thing by Will Smith. Um, so I don't know who's a kind of original kernel of a, of a story this was, but the original idea for the film was a father and a son on a camping trip. And after the car they're traveling in careens off the road, the son has to make his way through the forest to like find help for the mm-hmm. father at the nearest, whatever ranger station or whatever it would be. Right. And to me, I just like, I read that and I was like, that sounds way better. Like, I just think you run into this thing. Just to and, keep and it simple. Remember, like, remember Nicholas Gray when we did Kevin Costner? Yeah. He had that, you know, that talking point from one of the Costner interviews where he, Nicholas said, the Costner basically, and this is in the 90s, right? So think about that. How like when you get to the level of stardom that Costner was at, he either had to be saving the world or saving the girl. Sure. So do you think that kind of applies here? And obviously this we're we're adding this and this is just speculation, but you, you know, when you're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars funded into what's essentially a Hollywood machine with these types of movies, it's hard to not understand it, it's it's easy to understand how what's a very tight survival screenplay can become this sci-fi parable thing because Will Smith said yes. He's right? like, I'm like, just going to take this about thing this before. that exists and put all you know, this on top The of Mexican, which is a movie I think me and you both like, yeah. right, was in an indie script meant to be made for $4 million. And Gore Verbinski wanted to make it as like a reset because he had had this pretty epic flop for his first movie with Mouse Hunt, right? Yeah. When Brad Pitt says he wants to do it, the budget becomes 70 million. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, you know, this has kind of, I think, changed in some respects when you think about the industry right now and the streaming services and stuff, but in a lot of ways, also not, right? I mean, once what movie stars right, are now, once yeah. you can pre-sell properties internationally, right? Which is still a thing you can do, right? It changes. It really does. I mean, that's a real thing. It's like when you get a Tom Cruise, a Will Smith. There aren't that many of them anymore. A Leo DiCaprio. When you get them involved, Sandra Bullock, when you get them involved, the economics of the movie changes, literally, right? So this, is, I think, is an interesting example when you think about the kernel of this script and this idea. That's probably what happened to this. Because I agree, if you just make the, you know, fucking the edge with a father and son and you spend $50 million instead of a hundred and, and with Will Smith and maybe a better actor who's not well, a sure. Son, you know, like, but I, like, I don't even think Jaden's necessarily a bad actor. I really don't. I think he can be a good actor. I do. I think it, this is, this is just an impossible task. And also, and we won't go on and on about it, but rewatching it, they're all doing this, this, um, very put upon military edged accent and it is truly distracting and it dawned on me fear is not real the only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future it is a product of our imagination causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. 
That is near insanity, Katar. Now, do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. Yeah, he says fear is a choice. The accent is a choice. I, the accent I, is truly, like a, a, I would, a I would, certain choice. I would love a fucking 3,000 word long form piece on any of the film sites I watched to tell me about. Get on it, internet. Why they chose to do this. Who chose to do this? Because if you, in rewatching it, I realized every everybody has the accent. Yeah. It's not, like I think initially it was like, oh, oh, it's like Will Smith's doing, no, 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 no. Every yep. single person in the movie is doing a version of it. Because even Zoe Kravitz yep. is like soft shoeing it. Yep. So suffice it to say, it's a mistake. Um, this is certainly my least favorite of the four, just to put a button on it. Yeah, by, by, by a large margin. I really, I, I really dislike this. I movie. mean, it hurts also that it's so expensive. That's like another thing. It's like, and even just, just like the effects like, aren't quite yeah. good. I mean, there's some cool visual ideas in it in terms of the creatures that he's come, coming up against, but none of it's believable. None of it works. There are, you know, there are action scenes that feel sequenced in a way that doesn't make sense in the world it's even built, you know? So there's a lot I don't like. Um, so wrapping that up and moving on, that's after Earth. He does a favor for his friend, Akiva Goldsman, <laughs> in the crazy Warner Brothers movie, Winter's Tale, which, and I will say up front, Winter's Tale, the book, is one of my favorite books. It's definitely right up there for me. Um, and we kind of, when we did Colin Farrell, we sort of elected not to talk, to talk about, about this it. movie, uh, partially because it is just such a, I mean, it's now known as just, Right, you know, on the internet. I mean, I'll simply say movie. this: Martin Scorsese says he wanted to make this movie for a long time, but what he always would say is, "It's an unfilmable novel." Now, I think it it is that it's weird to say this in 2019 because you think with all the effects and all the ability we have, you know, with just technology, this seems crazy. But in truth, having read the book and loved the book, I think it still holds weight. I, it's structured in such a way. I mean, this is essentially Winter's Tale, the book, is essentially a 700 plus page New York City epic, turn of the century, 1900, basically. But over so what you're telling a few me is years, it's exactly the kind of movie that could get made today and would get made easily. <laughs> exactly. And you can understand how many filmmakers would want this would be a dream project because it is so beautifully written and it's there's a million things in it. It's about a it's essentially about a thief who who gets involved in these bigger, crazier things. And there's, I mean, it's I I won't even get it. There's so many elements here. It's insane. There's a, a woman who's dying and he has to save her. And there are these god-like things happening and you know you have he's essentially you know, pearly soames is this character who's essentially a demon yeah there's no punches pulled it, it is like high fantasy but almost built in this historical fiction type of a world right and akiva goldsman who is the accomplished screenwriter this was his passion project and he made it but he made it at this like for what he's trying to achieve, this very small budget, $60 million. You know, it doesn't seem like nothing, but for something what's like in the book yeah. is just not enough. And it's just... It seems like he called in all the favorites. Called in all the favorites. Russell Crowe yeah. plays Pearly Soames, who's essentially the main antagonist. 
And for one scene, William Smith plays the devil Mm -hmm. wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt and a black blazer. Which I believe was like a direct choice. I mean, who could say, but I'm sure. And this is the memeable, gifable part of the whole movie is he's yelling at Russell Crowe, who's one of his minions, and his face becomes like a demon face. And I'll let you envision fangs. I'll let you envision that as I just drop that in right here. Now you have no idea what now is. Now I was flying. Now I breathed fire and I ate them as they fled. Now I whipped my tail and the winds trembled. Now I am hidden in this pale shade of flesh and bone. Now I am witness to man's eternal salvation. Now I am witness to his demise. Do not speak to me of time, demon. Its simplest ebbs and turns elude your meager understanding. Find another way now! So now you've seen it in your head. And you could just Google it. You'll find it. You'll find it. And so, yeah, the movie's a huge flop. It comes and goes. Um, I mean, he's barely in it, so it's not really his fault. So that's all 2014, right? That's There's not a really a real Will Smith movie that year. How, where do you rank Will Smith among devils? Movie <laughs> devils. Let's do it real quick. Oh, my God. That's such a funny question because I have no, like, is there a worse devil? Think about it. I, Wouldn't is there worst a worst devil, devil weirdly be a compliment kind of though? Okay. Well, is there a best devil? Like, think about it. Is there a worse devil than devil? I don't know. Probably I mean, he's probably worse, right? I don't know. I mean, he has to be at least of, of like movie stars who have played the devil, right? He's got to be the worst. I mean, I I, I enjoy Pacino. Right. And, everybody does. Sure. Devil's Advocate. I enjoy. I go to bat for Vigo Mortensen in the prophecy. Vigo and prophecy. Yeah. I enjoy obviously De Niro and fucking and Angel, Angel Heart. Heart. Sure. All those are better. Exactly. Uh, Stormare, Peter Stormare and Constantine. Oh my God, that is a hell of a performance. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh, Yeah, no, let's just just say it. Let's just, worst worst movie, worst worst movie star devil. Worst movie star devil. Uh And I'm just checking just so we're not wrong. So Bright, just so we say it, it came out in 2017 on Netflix, right? So that's still a couple years away. So the next movie, our next movie, his next movie, February 2015, a movie I was very excited for. Focus. Uh-huh. Me too. Elect- directed by Crazy Stupid Love Directors, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. Um, it is a con artist movie. It starring is. Starring him and Margot Robbie. It's a caper. It's a, it's a caper. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, and it's, and look, I remember not liking it. I remember being disappointed by it in the theaters. And I will say, in rewatching it, I was pleasantly surprised. It's not perfect. Certainly not. It's a little stunted in the middle. The second act, the second half is not as strong as the first half, in my opinion. But I will say, when I got to the end, I thought to myself, you know what? This is why you do the B-sides. Because I would happily rewatch that movie. I think for what it is, it's certainly fun. Fun fact, initial casting for this movie was Ben Affleck and Kristen Stewart. That would have been Weird. Which, when you see the movie, is a weird thing to think about. But essentially, quick plot. Will Smith plays a experienced con artist named Nikki, who runs essentially multi-person con games in which a lot of small pickpocket little uh, grifts happen all at once. And the ultimate amount of money gathered is quite a lot. 
but it's split between, you know, 20, 30 people in these different scenarios at these different events. Which, he, like, I don't, to be fair, I don't know if I've ever seen right, that. Right, which movie. is cool, yeah. kind of clever way yeah. to open it and, you know, establish who this guy is. He talks about how he had his father raised him and some bad shit happened. People called him Mellow. Yeah. That comes back later. I don't think, let's not spoil this one because I do think it's kind of fun. So I don't actually want to say yeah, we, anything. We don't have to go, fun. we don't have to go too, um, too deep into it. I do think, yeah, I think this movie is a little long in the tooth. Um, yeah, and I and I, but I will say, I agree with you in that it's. I mean, it's definitely the best of the ones we're going to talk about. And it, uh, I did reappraise it myself because I do remember. I think you and I saw this together, probably. Uh, probably. But um, but I remember like shitting on this movie after I saw it, like just well, really, really not like. I it. remember, I remember the exact moment I turned on it, which I think in rewatching, I just, I just more enjoyed it. So basically, he meets Margot Robbie. She tries to hustle him in this kind of very cheap, you know, uh, seduces Will Smith. And then Will Smith's caught in the act when her fake boyfriend husband comes in with a gun to take all of his money. And yeah. it doesn't work because he knows the grift and all that stuff. She then convinces Will Smith to take her under his wing and he takes her to this huge, like high level, multiple different scenario con in New Orleans during the Super Bowl weekend. And all this crazy shit happens and Margot Robbie plays different roles and you meet his whole kind of little crew. And it's basically like a production, right? He's like the lead producer. It's like the Sting. And it's pretty cool. It's like the Sting, exactly. Yeah. And she's a natural, and they kind of fall in love while they're doing it. And look, they're two of the most beautiful, charming people in the world, and the chemistry. That's one of those things where it's like, you would bet the chemistry works, and it totally does, yeah. right? Like, as opposed to other times, it may be not. Like, we talked about McConaughey and Lopez yeah. and The Wedding Planner and how that just somehow doesn't, doesn't work, even though they're out. both so beautiful and charming. This is not that. It does work. It's sexy. It's fun. It's Will Smith. You're like, oh, he's like doing it again. Like when's the last not, time he was, uh, the you know, this kind of like it's like Bad Boys, right? Like yeah, it's like it, that character. It's the kinda. closest thing he's come, I think, weirdly, even given the kind of high concept con artist caper of it all. Um, it's the closest thing he, he had come as of 2015 in, in a long while to like playing a real human being. Like just like to like reacting to things in a way, even if he's you know extra funny, extra charismatic, that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's way more leveled out than obviously totally After Earth and oh yeah, you know even Men in Black. I mean, and look 3, to your you point know. about his management and like you know who manages his career. This feels like a smart play. I mean, it's it's a mature script. Having rewatched it, I have more respect for the way it builds out than I did when I saw it, you know, four years ago, and. You know, essentially what happens is where, where the movie loses me, and this is not a huge spoiler. They're at the Super Bowl. They 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 do this huge coordinated multiple cons. An insane they, con. They, yeah. Well, but this is before that. They make all this money, and then they say to all the players, like, you'll get your cut in the mail. Thanks for, thanks for the work. I'll, you know, uh, till next time. See you later. And then they set up this whole thing in this moment where it's like, all right, Will. All right, Nikki. Right here's all the money we made. Don't go to the track. Like you got a gambling problem. Don't go to the track. And you're like, okay, this is weird. 
And then they go to the Super Bowl. Margot Robbie and Will Smith go to the Super Bowl because, of course, Will Smith has a couple tickets because, you know, that's just the type of dude he is, right? He's another yeah, guy, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Perks of the job. And they go to a box yeah. to watch it. And he gets in this insane one-upsmanship, crazy betting with the amazing B.D. Wong. Yeah, it's a pretty good performance. Great, great one scene performance. It's a lot of fun. And what you find out is the whole thing where you essentially think you're with Margot Robbie and you think that Will Smith is literally betting away all the money that all of these people just made conning and like blowing it like people said he would. It's all a grift. And there's this whole complicated thing they did about guessing a number on the field and how they convinced BD Wong to but like through this number just basic like psychology is well, kind so, of and I'll tell you this I think you disagree with me a little bit but this is what kind of worked to me cuz in the theater when I saw this it bothered me because it was kind of like fuck you right like yeah. this is yeah, bullshit how- psychology stuff in rewatching it I will say there's a line he has when he's explaining, because the whole deal is it works. They make double the money they made before because B.D. Wong loses because he guesses the number. They basically were, quote unquote, telling him to guess for days and by days like and days feeding by it feeding it into his head. And and um, and Margot Robbie's like, she didn't even know. So she plays the Patsy without even knowing it because yeah. she believes it. And that obviously comes back later in the movie, which was another thing in rewatching and I kind of thought was actually more clever in rewatching than I remembered is this idea that like her, but I guess it's a little insulting to her character and that also- That's the big problem. Where I it's have. like, oh yeah, she's an idiot. Like, yeah. she, you know, you can get her to believe anything, which that's its own problem. But especially because the movie spends the first 20 minutes telling you that she's actually really good at her job. Right. So the fact that she doesn't know what's going on doesn't actually make sense. Now that I'm saying it, I'm like <laughs> revisiting what I did. Well, no, no, no. It's just, it's, it's more, I think, I think the big thing, and this is where the movie missteps for me. And I look, I, to your point, Dan, I do think it's I, I've come I I came around on it as well in that I give it a watch. You might like it. It is you know especially now in the grand scheme of Will Smith's uh, career and performance choices and all that kind of thing. It is refreshing just to think about like 2015 yeah. and that he decided to do this like fun, sexy, charismatic performance. But I think a big problem that the movie has is it it like. It, it sort of robs her and gives the movie to him and not to say that he can't carry a movie. It's just that it, you, you think it's they're kind of setting up a movie that they're going to carry together. And to me, it sort of gives him the ball for a, a, a huge portion of it. And it, and it kind of really um, sidelines her in a way that is just, I feel like a huge waste of her talents. Um, right. And betray and like, you said, it's a betrayal of the character you've built a little bit, yeah. which I think is tough. Um, that said, I do think, um, yeah, there, there's definitely charm to be had in it. Um, we won't spoil it too much, obviously. Like, no, I mean, we'll just say there's some great supporting performances. Gerald McRaney is a interesting character in this movie. He, he kind of steals a couple scenes. Um, you have Adrian, Adrian Mart- Martinez. Yeah, he's pretty far hot. Is like he's actually really good. In this pretty movie. funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just to put a, put a button on the Super Bowl thing I was talking about, the line that worked more for me the second time watching it, the rewatching it, was Margot Robbie's Will Smith's explaining this whole idea of like telling him the number, telling him the number. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna guess the number, and she goes, "Well, what if you didn't guess the number?" And he go, and Nikki goes. 
you keep doing, you keep, you do double or nothing until he, until he says it. So the idea being like, it's, he says it's like 59% is what is like the estimate that he'll say that number. And he's like better than Vegas, right? So right. it's imperfect. Okay. And even if they fuck it up once, you do it again until like, I don't know, you die or, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. So I did think that think so. w- was interesting in as much as like, okay, so there's an awareness there, but still it's a, so it's, it's quite silly. The ending worked better for me this time. Um, I think the biggest problem still remains with this movie for what it sets up. The ultimate con, like that is the climax, is weirdly simple. Yeah. Yeah. That's like another part of it that's tough to kind of reconcile. It's also, I think it also, it's weird because it's a movie that I think is kind of refreshing. It's kind of to what I said before. Like what's refreshing about the movie in the first like 30 minutes, first hour is that it's not about the long con. Is that it's like this like interesting other world right. of grifting. That right. Short kind of, money, short money. Yeah, yeah. That you're kind of introduced into. And I really liked that. Like I was like, oh yeah, I don't think I've right. seen a con artist movie like this. And then it obviously becomes about the long con as they all do. I just think that, yeah. It, and it also has the, uh, kind of, just, it has that sum of all fears problem where like the biggest craziest thing happens in the middle, in the middle of, the, middle movie. of the, movie. the movie. So right. then you're like, whereas if it ends with the, the Super Bowl, end, you're like, what, right. Or like something in that ilk, yeah. right. Where, yeah, like the steps to the con at the end kind of don't. And they set it all up and it's obviously there's an awareness and there's all these things. But I just think the actual way they get to where they get is just not. Even in rewatching it and enjoying it more, you do go like, yeah, like this seemed fairly obvious. There are some twists that are not obvious, right? of course, but the general central thing is like, yeah, this is what I, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel that over, overly smart. I suppose that, that is a problem. So yeah, I hate this movie again now. Thanks. Connor. No, <laughs> no I, I do think I will say though, it is, uh, it is worth checking out. Um, if only just to see the chemistry between Will Smith and Marta Robbie. Um, yeah, hundred percent. They are, they are, they light it up in this movie. Um, all right. So we got to do it. Final one. <laughs> So, final one, mother of God, here we go. I suppose we'll just quickly say, betwixt these two, is Concussion in 2015. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Will Smith plays the Nigerian Dr. Bennett Amalu, who is the gentleman, real-life gentleman, who essentially studied brain trauma to NFL players specifically and how it affects their health and the years during and then more specifically after uh, football and it was filmed mostly in Pittsburgh, which is where I live. So I'm very proud of that. And it's, you know, as in real life, a primary focus of Ben and Amala's work, Dr. Amala's work was Mike Webster, who was a Pittsburgh Steeler who, who essentially died homeless on the streets of Pittsburgh, suffering from CTE, right? Which is now obviously a well-known thing that NFL players have to deal with and that the league itself is you know, trying to deal with, with concussion protocol and what have you. So this movie is a very almost overly straightforward account of that. 
not great. You know, there's some memorable moments in it. I think Definitely his performance like a, is okay. I, I, it was like an Oscar. It's push like for a him, noble think, thing. Sure. Peter Landisman's one of those guys. He was a journalist. He was a writer. He's he's directing. He made a movie called Parkland. He made the Mark Felt movie with Liam Neeson playing Mark Felt, who was Deep Throat. Obviously, that got revealed after he died. Right. So interesting. Subjects. Liam Neeson was Deep Throat. Yeah, it oh, wasn't wow. Mark Felt. It was actually Liam Neeson was deep Whoa. throat. Yeah, which is crazy. Irish guy. It doesn't yeah. really make sense. So concussion, you know, it's just one of those. It's pretty standard, unfortunately. Um, he's in Suicide Squad the next year. One of his biggest hits. He plays Deadshot. He's a hitman who loves his family, loves his daughter. He has that cool hat in that one scene. He gets caught by Batman, but you don't see it happen because Suicide Squad is a mess. The one thing I'll say about Suicide Squad is I do think Jared Leto's performance as the Joker is interesting, and no. I'll stand by that opinion until no. the day that I die. No. What I like is what I like is that he's playing the Joker as a gangster, like in the, the Batman animated, animated series. series. That's a yeah, and I think that's fun, but like not as good as uh, sure. But he's yeah. doing something different. Sure, I think all the shit he did on set and the knife shot with the thing and the. There's some dumb shit in it. And, you know, look, David Ayer, it's the man who gave us Bright. You know what I mean? And I <laughs> look, and weirdly, David Ayer, it's not like David Ayer is a bad director. End of watch. Impressive movie, right? Yeah. I mean, there are moments of fury I find, hard, you know, hard to shake. You know, I think there's moments of harsh times I find hard to shake. You know, I think the guy wrote the first Fast and the Furious, Lest We Forget. He wrote Training Day, Lest We Forget. I actually did forget that he wrote the first Fast and So, or he co-wrote it with a, with uh was it gary david thompson so that's 2015 2016 will december 2016 is a movie called collateral beauty i'm sure you know about this movie also probably not a b-side for many of the actors we do but for will it counts because he's such a big movie star sure Christmas release. This movie was a flop. This is yep. not like a seven pounds thing where it's like, well, it didn't make as much as you thought, but it didn't. No. This movie, even though I'm seeing here it only costs 36 million to make, it only it worldwide made less than 90 million, which for Will Smith is like for a Christmas release. And just I think also for the like the murderer's row of actors. Yeah, that so are let's in just move Will Smith, Edward Norton, Kate fucking Winslet. Let's just say that Helen Mirren, Michael Pena, Naomi Harris, Kira Knightley. That's your main crew. Yeah. That's a murderer's row. Yeah. Directed by David Frankel, written by Alan Loeb. Um, <laughs> I so, think there's, I feel like there's at least one movie every episode that's preceded by a long sigh. So <laughs> this, okay. So essentially what this movie is about, I'll try to keep this quick. It's so hard because this movie is so convoluted. Will Smith runs in, was it, what, is it an ad agency? It's, a, it's some it's kind like of a, a media brand agency or creative media agency. agency. He, runs a, he runs like a small to mid-sized. Like boutique. Yeah. Uh, high-end. Creative agency. Creative agency. Uh, yeah. With his partner, Edward Norton. Wit. Yeah. Uh, and basically... He has he does surprise experienced a tragedy, right? So this <laughs> is the seven family companion. Yeah, and well, no, and I mean, I'm just now as we're kind of talking about all these movies, 
it's a just a continuous thing with all of his movies. Yeah, true. There's a dead you child. After there's Earth. a you're dead right. wife. There is, there's a, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a, a prevailing a, thing. I am legend. Like it's yeah. It's well, a, he was our legend. Legend. That's we true. learned that from yeah. Alice Braga. There. She taught yeah. me that. Um, is that butterfly? <laughs> um, anyway, the that movie. This movie though, other New York movie. Um, yes. No, Ugh. he. It's so basically they run this ad agency, creative agency. Uh, he has undergone a tragedy. They he loses his six year old to a rare form of cancer. Sure. Very sad about it. Obviously, two two years go by, and the you know we are sort of initially introduced to the agency at its peak. I guess they've just yeah had they a do great- a parallel they do a parallel opening where you have a speech he gives after a successful year around Christmas, and then it's like the next year, two years later, after his daughter dies, after his daughter's yeah. died, and he is making dominoes in his his very big office and which okay and well hang on okay edward norton kate winslet and michael pena who all you know edward norton is the co-partner and kate winslet and michael pena are like partners right yeah they definitely because they they, 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 they were, mentioned that they well, made when, michael partner they they made michael pena a partner, partner. like early on yeah as like a favor so i think yeah they are all so partners. they're like the partners yeah they're watching will smith do the dominoes and they're like how long did this one take five days which first of all that's a lot of days well that's kind of what and granted to all their point in right. the movie i just was like could you imagine Sitting at your job. And, well, we and work when we work with at ad a agencies. production company and with a lot of agencies. Yeah, we work with a lot of ad agencies. Could you just imagine sitting at your job and you're and while you're like maybe even worried about if you're going to keep your job because sure. the agency's not doing well, your boss is just it's, over in the corner just making dominoes. It's like, kind of and he this, lost his daughter. I guess so it's, it's kind sad, of this but, '90s idea of agency. Yes, where it's like. They don't really exist that way anymore. Like this idea of like rock star agency. Yes and no, because I I will say this. I do think people love this inside baseball agency talk, dude. Of course, no, no, no. But I, my fiance who works at an agency, we we were talking about this. My fiance is an agency, an agency, a whole agency. I mentioned, and she's also my wife of three years. Yeah, she's a living agency. Yeah, which is weird to be married to a hundred person agency, but I am. It's crazy. Go on. Are the benefits good? They are superb, my friend. That's great. Um, no, but the I will say I do think they get a certain part of like the kind of people very correct. Um, and I do think there is a certain degree of the I, I understand what you're saying with like the rock star agency thing isn't quite around anymore. But I do think there is when you get those brief shots of other people who work in the agency. Right. Sitting at their desks in yeah. like an open floor plan. I'm like, yeah, no, yep, yep. Like, yeah. granted, all those people would be way more stressed I suppose, out for yeah, sure. Right. I, I guess but, that. I guess that's what the movie kind of doesn't really succeed in. It's like there is still that prevailing work hard, play hard thing, but the but the work hard part doesn't like ever come through really. Right. Yeah. But regardless, he's making dominoes. He's super sad, and it's like you get the feeling. Not even get the feeling. They literally say. We're about to lose this big account. Once we lose that, it's 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 gonna fall apart like dominoes. And um, our only saving grace is to sell to this other company who's gonna give us a good deal on, on our, our shares. shares. Yeah. 
and we have to sell. Like we have to sell because look at all these people who work. And for that's this just agency. A, they like basically play it out. Like Edward Norton plays it out, uh, and the movie sort of expresses. It's not just a good deal on the shares. It's like we're basically going to get to be the same company. We're going to retain creative control. Right. It's like we will still be us, us just yeah. not you know be owned, which is a yeah. common obviously thing. Sure. Or whatever. So they they come up with a plan. These three near duels, these three crazy <laughs> agency people. Edward Norton, Kate Winslet, Oscar nominees, Oscar winners. Yes, Oscar winner, Kate Winslet. They come up with a plan. Michael Pena, too. They come up with a plan that felt like a dig on Michael Pena. Sorry, Michael, if you're listening. <laughs> You'll get that Oscar nomination one day. Ant Man 3, you got it. Actually, deservedly, probably. He's so good in those movies. They come up with a plan um, to hire three actors to play so sorry let me jump back he's all will smith is also howard inlet is his name he's also writing letters to love death and time which are also the big three tenets of his like core beliefs in the agency it's like a whole other thing so he's written these letters and Dowd, the great and Dowd, is a PI who has discovered that he's writing these letters. Can I watch the movie that's and Dowd PI? Yeah, we'll talk f- a lot about that in a minute because that's a whole other part of this movie that's so crazy to me. But he's writing these letters, Love, Death, and Time. So the plan is essentially let's hire these three actors, these New York actors, to play Love, Death, and Time to essentially come to Howard Inlet and go, yo, you wrote me a letter. I'm here to like talk about it. And... And, and they're upfront about this. Yep. So as to gaslight their boss, Howard Inlet, who is dealing with a impossible trauma. And childhood so, friend, like boss and friend. Yes, in, in, in terms of Edward Norton. Yeah. So as to doctor the footage of him speaking to people he will believe are in his mind because they're playing these constructs. Doctor footage filmed by private investigator and Dowd who will then take these real actors out of these real confrontations and show them to the board to force their friend and boss, Howard Inlet into signing away his rights to the company, thereby allowing them to sell and save all these jobs. Okay, fine. But what, what? the sweet fuck. Yeah. And it's, the and the length tries 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 to um like rationalize it but also acknowledge the shittiness of it because that's one of the one of the first things helen mirren says when when this first basically gets pitched to them right because she's like so you're yeah they go to this new york troupe and it's helen mirren Kira knightley and jacob Lattimore, who you might know from the chi right or the chai the chai i apologize so those are the three actors they pitch this to. And she basically says, like, you're gaslighting your friend. Sure. And Edward Norton puts the spin on. He's like, no, we're just, we're underlying a mental right. health problem that we know is already there. We're just sort of lying about it to bring it out in the open, which, like, whatever. So, yeah, to your point, the movie kind of knows what it's doing sure. to a certain degree. And Kira Knightley is opposed to it and whatever. But right, she's very, of, she, she's playing love. Yes. And she's kind of like, I will not do this. I will not. Perfect, Kira Knightley. That's great. Tonight. Kira, what did you think about your role in the movie? <laughs> oh, did you like it? I was underwhelmed. Okay, me too. Um, 
basically <laughs> um basically they, keep it in i say keep it in <laughs> <laughs> basically as as kind of they go along you know they he has these encounters with each of them and they're confronting him in character yeah. meanwhile he is also you know he interacts with Naomi Harris right who runs running, a support group yes, for, for grieving parents, parents yeah. um who have lost a child and you get the sense immediately the movie i think does actually a pretty good job with this you do get the sense kind of immediately that like Naomi Harris knows something that we don't know about Howard Inlet about Will Smith we'll get to it yeah, it, the fact that the other characters who know Howard Inlet in the movie don't ever there's like never a mention of about it. it is well, yeah, we'll that. talk about that in a second. But basically, as it goes along, it it works. Their plan works. Like that's the thing. He basically right. is, they show in front of a bunch of lawyers this doctored footage, which one who did that? Well, you. Are a post producer I am. for your job, so I know who did it. But my point is, no, 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 no. But hang on, no, I'm, I'm about to. This is my assist to you. I'm passing yeah. it to you. So yes, because this is, I think, the most egregious thing in the whole movie. It's insane. Essentially, we're not going to go too deep into no, 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 no. the minutia of this, but a but and down films these encounters in which Howard Inlet is like yelling at these. Real people who he is meant to believe are constructs, right? right. That they are then going to and out who's unassuming nearby is filming these encounters on a flip phone. Okay, okay. So let's take away the fact that the resolution you would get on an MP4 video or whatever it is of a flip phone would be unworkable to the extent that you could not show it on a seventy-inch fucking screen in a high-tech building that would not look like just yeah. mush. But okay, let, forget about that. Let's assume it's, it's the greatest footage. camera yeah. ever made. She okay. shoots it in like 8K. Let's assume this is one of those weird 8K filming flip flones from three years ago. So she does this, okay? And in seemingly days, they comp out human beings who, when you... When you watch the the way that she's filming, if you know anything about graphics, you could never comp them out without obstructing the world that they live in, right? The whole idea of comping stuff out, right? Just very simply, is you you and obviously it's, there's way more possibilities these days, of course. But if you if if I am in front of Connor in a real life situation and my hand crosses his body in any way, then I cannot take myself out of the frame without making him miss an arm for a second. You know what I'm saying? And there are ways around it, but my point would be, it it would take a while. Yes. And or be expensive, right? Right. And so Edward Norton- just the whiz on After Effects. Okay, but like, here's the thing. My thinking was like, okay, maybe they got like internal people at the agency to do it. But like, okay, what pays for that? What did you take? You take it out of the take it out of the new business budget. Twenty thousand dollars. Crazy. No, it's insane. Maybe the agency's not doing that bad. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. I I think it just it just comes out of the new biz budget. But now without so okay so 
we'll quickly say the other part of this is that each one of Edward Norton, Kate Winslet, and Michael Pena are dealing with their own personal demons as well. Edward Norton cheated on his wife, and he doesn't have a relationship with his daughter. Kate Winslet is married to her job and is at a point in her age in her life where she's at an age where she doesn't believe she can have a kid anymore, and that's like a huge regret in her life. And Michael Pena is dying, dying literally. Yeah. So that's happening, and he hasn't told his family. So that's all. So like, while they're prepping these actors to play these constructs, they themselves are being helped by these actors, right? So it's all very like it's all very happening. There's a lot happening, and like we were talking about before this podcast, you said this, Connor. There's this sense when you think about the agency world that this movie is literally like a lot of agency fielded ideas that you see in commercials and that you see in YouTube pre-roll stuff that you see on Instagram, you know, influencer, blah, blah, blah. That's uplifting and it's positive and it's silver lined and it's up, you know, it's, it's, um, it's forward looking and it's, you know, armchair, armchair psychiatry and all that, which psychology and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you take all of it and you put it in one movie and you try to feed a narrative through it, it like reveals the shallowness of a lot of it. And I don't think that movie is aware of that, but if you were to watch the movie through that as a commentary on that shallowness, you could find something to enjoy. That's kind of where I came to when I was watching this movie. Not, Not while watching it, it wasn't really until the very end where I was like, oh, maybe, (sighs) wow, okay. Because it's just what you're watching is a group of people take a person and convince them of a thing that they need that they do not need. Right. And then they go along with it and it's this whole farce. And they spend a mountain of money to do it. And it totally works. Yeah. He's healed. And he never finds out. What do you mean? He never. Oh, that the people. That, well, but hang on. That's a whole nother part of the movie. Yeah. So, so the whole ruse, the whole diabolical rules totally works. Yeah. And it is diabolical. He's, it is he's healed. He's better. You learn spoilers. Obviously, there's a lot of spoilers ready. You learn that Naomi, Naomi Harris is not only someone who runs this, um, you know. Counseling group. Counseling group. Yeah. She is also Will Smith's ex-wife. They had the daughter together and Will Smith wrote her a letter among all the other letters where he basically said, if only we could meet again as strangers. So this idea is like the trauma has pushed her out of his mind, which fine. And he's choosing to not know her. And, and they kind of both are. They're like, they're like, like they know. It's like almost like an experiment. Right. Or a chosen. Yeah. And by the end, he's he like just accepts the fact that, OK, like, you know, he comes he comes to terms. He says his daughter's name. Olivia and you know it all kind of comes together so their terrible terrible horrible plan works and nope there's no consequences he nope. sells the company everybody's they yeah. get the money they want right they get their own resolution the actors from get these the actors money. the actors get the money and then at the end you are meant to maybe assume kind of yeah that these actors are actually angels like all of them because there's this whole other thing where Naomi Harris talks about how when their daughter was about to be essentially pulled off life support and a woman told her Here to comes. not forget to look and appreciate all the collateral beauty around. And when you flash back 
you see that that woman was Helen, Helen Mirren. Mirren yeah. And then when they're walking through Central Park Fuck. and they're the three actor angels are looking at Will Smith and Naomi Harris walking through Central Park. He turns around and look at them. He turns around and look at them and they're not there. I think it's bullshit. I think they just ran away real fast. Um, yeah, and I think that would kind of make... So here's my thing. I I think, gun to my head, I enjoy this movie more than Seven Pounds. Hmm. I think... It's tight. I know. Yeah. I think... They're very similar. They're very similar. I think the Will Smith performance is far better in Collateral Beauty. I think he's kind of found his stillness. Sure. And I think that goes a long way. Yes. I also think he's, he's not doing as much of the he also think he's like he older, yeah. which helps. I think that helps a lot of these actors, mm-hmm. especially these male actors. Like, because I think there's a, I mean, it, it, it's weird. It's like, I do think maybe this is just a personal preference, but I've said this about Tom Cruise as well. Like, when you, when, with these male movie stars specifically, when when there's a little bit of age on them, mm-hmm. it feels like Brad Pitt too. It feels like, I don't know, it sells better for me. I don't know what it is, but it, it, it helps in Collateral Beauty. Um, I think it's a weirdly like joyous performance by Edward Norton, which I kind of enjoy. He's, yeah, I was going to say, well, he's also, he's smarmy too, which kind of helps. I mean, there's, I, and that's kind of what I meant before. I think all three of them, I will say to their credit, like I've worked with Edward Norton's, you know sure, what I mean? Sure, like it's, sure, sure, sure. so yeah, to that degree, I will. And I, I do think it kind of gets the, the marketing, advertising, creative world, right. To a certain degree is just that dude who's just like, you know, maybe has it, maybe has the sparks of whatever every once in a while. And certainly maybe he's charismatic, but you're also just like, uh, you right yeah yeah, you know that that kind of thing well and i think kira knightley i find like just generally lovely so i think you putting her in a movie even though she kind of doesn't do anything and like have the movies edward norton just falling in love with her i think kind of does enough for me and i do think the one scene where edward norton gets the terrible idea to like gaslight his boss with his mom yeah it's actually quite affecting because his mom's essentially suffering from dementia after a stroke. And the whole thing is she's she thinks these crazy things and his thinking of how to gaslight Will Smith. It's insane. Is, it's like he's a monster. He, yeah. It's like it's he so plays crazy. along with his mom's delusions and it helps them communicate. And that scene in a vacuum is quite nice. And the way he describes it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, it just helps. Like he gives in and like, I just think but just the, ah, it just makes me, yeah, it makes me sad. The but lengths also I this think movie quite goes touching. to, to like convince you that the people you are following for most of the movie, cause it, it's, it's a Will Smith movie, but like kind of barely, it very much is the three. Like yeah. They are the three. Yeah. Leads, sure. Sure. Right. Sure, right. I think, um, I mean, it's an, it's an ensemble, but they, uh, Norton, it's weirdly kind of like an Ed Norton movie, I think first and foremost in a in a weird way because he's definitely spent a lot of time with ed norton more than you would think going yeah he's definitely i think the most uh, to me the most prominent performance is just as far as screen time and a character is concerned but it and the the lengths that they go to to convince you that these people are not a long movie 90 minutes no and i will say other than uh other than seven pounds all of these movies mercifully uh, for the most part are yeah after earth 100 minutes right and focus is like only 104. Yeah, like yeah, 100 yeah. minutes. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. Uh, Collateral Beauty, it's, I mean, watch it. Just it's for just the, insane. You should, you, you yeah. should watch it. Yeah. Like, that's the other For the thing same too. reason you should watch like, Winter's I, Tale. I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't say to go and watch Seven Pounds, but I would say to go and watch Collateral Beauty. Yeah, Beauty. it's insane. You know what I mean? That's the other part of it in terms of recommendation. And it, yeah, just to put a button on it, to what we were talking about before, it's Collateral, it, Collateral Beauty feels like this extension of Seven Pounds in like you have all these successful people making a movie they think is relatable. Yeah. But it's actually insane. And the insanity makes it entertaining. Yeah, I just, I, to your point, I think if you if you watch it through the lens of a sort of treatise on what advertising is and and marketing and what that yeah. what that actually is psychologically as a a transaction, uh, that's what this movie is in a nutshell, basically. Um, and just because I rem- I'm remembering, I forgot to say this: the scene in Seven Pounds that I felt similarly in an angelized way was egregious is will smith in romancing rosario dawson sneaks oh, into the shed yes. of her house without her knowing yeah it's insane to repair a printing machine because she makes like nice paper yeah she's like a graphic and doesn't designer. tell her and then surprises her on date night later and her reaction is like oh my god that's so nice instead of what, what? the fuck you saw where I hid my key and you snuck into my shed. Yeah. You creepy son of a bitch. Get out of my life. Forever. And he does the whole thing to Muse, which just puts right. it in a time. <laughs> right. Ugh. Anyway. So, okay. Will coming up. Yeah. Let's quickly talk about it. All right. So you have spies in disguise. Spies in disguise? Spies in Duh, guys. Or dis guys. The Tom, the famous Tom Holland, Will Smith collaboration. Yep. You have Bad Boys for Life, which except it's me the third I movie, yeah. which I feel like they're making a fourth one, and it's like guys, it's such a mistake. Or maybe they're just finishing up with this one. The trailer kind of suggests this is the last ride. Yeah, sure. Um, Until it out, does really well. Well, right. it's coming out in January though. Oh, so right, right. we'll see. Now, an interesting one coming up. Uh, Jim, Jim and I, man, we talked about that's interesting in its own right. Ang Lee, right? That'll be cool. He's working with a great. I am director. kind of. I am super. You know, by it. playing with again, Ang Lee playing with um, high level, high speed frame rates and pretty intense de aging effects at the same time. Also, Clive Owen working with a good director against cool. Um, a movie coming out or in pre-production currently that I am excited about and I think could be almost exactly the type of thing we were talking about before that we want to see Will Smith do. Uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green's movie, King Richard, in which Will Smith would play Richard Williams, who was the father, controversial father, of venus and serena williams which i think would just be interesting that would definitely that's kind of an interesting type of a role like when we talk about wanting remember when we talked about tom cruise like wanting him to age into a role sure this This feels like that for will smith sure so that's i hope i hope they make it that no that feels because it's kind of funny right before we started i was thinking like what what is the thing that i would love to see him do and this is kind of this goes for both the people i'm about to mention I would love to see him reteam with Michael Mann. Um, yeah, if he ever makes a movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would love to see Michael Mann make a movie again. And Black would, Hats with a Z. Yeah, sure. Black Hats Hemsworth. for Life. Will Smith. It'd be both the Men in Black. The Men in Black. Yeah, and they'll go international. Yeah, throw Tessa in there too. Whatever. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Tom I mean, and I Jones am one of the back. seven 
film critics who gave Men in Black International <laughs> a positive review. And I don't even think that's I, a joke. I own it. I think I it own is, it. I, I gave it, it a B. Like I also people. am one of the three film critics who gave The Mummy, the Tom Cruise <laughs> Mummy movie. You know, it's funny when I criticize it, I could see a little wince in your face. I could see it. Look, I, look. These these are the opinions, and I'm I don't shy away. I like the movies. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, it is what it is. I, you know what I, mean? I Kamalni and Johnny's voice work in Men in Black International is superb. Seek it out. It's worth the time. Rebecca Ferguson. She's wearing a wig for days. Anyway, Connor, continue. What else you want from Will? No, I think. I mean, I think that's kind of. I. I. Yeah, I like the. Uh, I'd like to see another. Not you know exactly another focus. But yeah, just another. Um, I like I like it when I see him trying. I don't know. It's that that's I think basically what it comes down to because because Bright feels like autopilot. Um, obviously, a lot well, of the movies we talked about here. Feel I don't want kind of like autopilot, right? We don't want to talk about Bright too much, but Bright has a similar problem to After Earth, in which it's a world building. There's an there's a kernel that's interesting there. But they make Will Smith unlikable. Yeah, they and make him essentially a. It's a, almost impossible to a do. It's ignorant. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, kind of shitty, stuck-up guy, and the jokes that would so- that would like soften that aren't funny. So you, it's so hard to deal with because you want. He needs to be your in into the world. Sure. And you don't like him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that's the problem with Bright. Among, you know, on the Will Smith side at least. But yeah, no, I mean, I would just, yeah, I would just dig like, uh, again, it doesn't need to be a super grounded thing. I mean, the King Richard thing is super cool. Um, I'm excited for that as well. Doesn't need to be something terribly grounded. But like I said, a small scale, like, but sort of high concept, like M. Night Shyamalan thing, you know. Like an unbreakable level movie, but with Will Smith, uh, I think would be really right. wonderful. Now, we'll finish it with this. I agree with you. Because I feel like we have to mention it. Did you see Aladdin? Chonky Genie? Chonky Genie. I did, did, not, I okay. did not. I've seen it. Uh, it's his highest grossing movie ever. His first billion dollar grocer. Which Aladdin. that kind of feels insane, actually. Yeah, but I mean, if you it think makes about sense with the Disney of it, sure, all. sure. So, I mean, Suicide Squad is his third high-grossing movie worldwide. I mean, what's his second? Independence Day. You know what I mean? Men in Black Three is five with six twenty-four. Hancock made six twenty-four worldwide. Wow, that's insane. I think it. I think I said it made over seven hundred. So I apologize for that. Anyway, okay. Isn't it weird that they changed the title of that movie from He Comes at Night. Because they were like, well, he comes at night. That's a little weird and gross. And then they still kept cock in the title. Yeah, which is, and also just so, it's like a reference to the fake name he wrote down, which was a real person during the revolution. You know, it's just a, it's strange. Anyway. Um, Produced by Michael Mann, who almost directed it. Yep. When it was that script. Yes. And then they made it superheroes instead of, like, you know, they kind of, anyway. Aladdin, Guy Ritchie movie. They sold it on Will, right? He was the genie. Okay, this is all I'll say about it. I think Will's fine. Um, it, I think the movie's okay. There's some charm to it. Um, I'm going to forget her name who plays Jasmine. Naomi Scott. She's in the Charlie's Angels reboot directed by Elizabeth Banks. 
wow, what an actress, star in the making, worth watching the movie for her alone. I would dream of casting an actress like her to be in anything I make. Like she is, she has it. She has the ability. She's got funny moments. She's stunning to look at on screen. The camera loves her. They rewrite the Jasmine character to be like to matter and have agency. Sure. And she owns it. The kid, uh, Mena Musad, who plays um, uh, Aladdin, is fine. He's good too. <laughs> I love that you just forgot the but, title. But yeah, characters. I mean, case in point. But Naomi Scott is is the fucking hundred percent like stealer of the show. I wish her all. I hope the Charlie's Angels uh, re- reboot is great for her alone. Now, Will Smith. Here's the thing. Straight up, Rob, you are reminded watching the movie how important Robin Williams was to the animated movie. I mean, sure. that's all I can say. I mean, because well, it's half of it's him riffing. It's right, him just, and it yeah. just Will Smith isn't doing that, and when he tries to do it it kind of feels like half-hearted homage but it isn't and it, it just doesn't ever gel the same way but how could it because it's such an iconic voice performance by robin williams so that's the problem i mean he's fine you know it's just mm-hmm. not one of the greatest you know what i mean one of the greatest vocal performances, vocal performances in the history of yeah. animation so that's kind of all I'll say about it. You know, we've talked a little bit about Guy Ritchie in this show. I mean, you know, I love Man from Uncle as much as the next, you know, really, really smart person. But <laughs> um, Aladdin, uh, yeah, it's just another one of those Disney remakes. And Will Smith is along for the ride. So, yeah, let's hope for King Richard. Let's hope for kind of more interesting roles, something like Focus, if not quite Focus. You know, I'd love to see him work with Margot Robbie again. They have great chemistry. Yeah, You know, she's got her own production company now. You know, connect it. Overbrook, her company, the two movie stars to make something cool. Um, in the meantime, we'll enjoy what we have from Will and we'll look forward to the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you're following the new Twitter handle that we have at TFSB side. Look for retweets and links to old episodes as new movies come out starring the people we've talked about. Um, definitely follow Connor at Scruffy Looking. Definitely follow me at DJ Mecca. Definitely go to the film stage for movie reviews, interviews, features. We've got a bunch coming up. Award season is around the corner. You're listening in October. It's probably already here. Basically. Yeah. And yeah, check out the film stage show. We love those guys. We'll be on our own feed, if not while you're listening, very soon. And in the meantime, in between time, we always say, how can we see if our eyes aren't real? Please don't get me started. Fly like magic carpet. You ain't never had a friend, never had a friend. Never, never had a friend, never had a friend. Never, never, never had a had a friend, friend like me. Friend like me, never!